Hello and welcome to Fintech Bytes, a podcast series from CMS, in which we will discuss and provide insight into some of the latest technology and regulatory developments, market trends and issues affecting fintech and innovation in financial services. Hello and welcome to episode 14 of the CMS Fintech Bytes podcast series. My name is Yasmin Johal and I'm an associate in the CMS Fintech Practice Group and I specialise in financial services regulation. Today, I am delighted to be joined by Lex Alexander, who is General Counsel at Liberis. Liberis is a leading global embedded finance platform, which is on a mission to provide small businesses with accessible and responsible finance. Since 2007, Liberis has provided nearly one billion dollars of funding in over 45,000 transactions and has enabled over 100,000 jobs to be created and saved. My second guest today is Fiona Henderson. Fiona is a senior associate in the CMS FinTech practice group and she specialises in tech finance and FinTech related work. So in today's podcast we'll be exploring uh, various topics with a predominant focus on women in fintech. As many people may know, the fintech industry faces a well-publicised ongoing diversity challenge. While there has been improvement, there is still much more work to be done. In terms of gender equality, surveys indicate that the current ratio of male to female workers in UK fintech is two to one. Further, 87% of all VC funding in Europe is still raised by male-only founding teams and the proportion of funding raised by women-only teams dropped from 3% to 1% since 2018. Of course, gender equality is only one element in the goal of creating and maintaining diverse representation in the industry. There are various other factors we must consider, such as race, religion, and disability. So before we get on to the podcast, I'm very excited to have an insight into both Lex's and Fiona's experiences as female fintech lawyers, and also their views for how fintech companies can diversify and retain a diverse workforce. So Lex, Fiona, hello. How are you both today? Good, busy, but good. Hi, Yasmin. Looking forward to the conversation this afternoon. Good, good. So maybe let's kick off. So Lex, my first question goes to you. So can you please tell me a bit more about your role at Liberus and if you have faced any challenges as a female general counsel or as a woman holding a senior position in fintech? Of course, feel free to bring up any other experiences that you've had during your career. Sure. Um, it's actually the kind of female um, role in fintech and female leadership is something really close to my heart. Um, I I started off really thinking about this and experiencing the challenges when I when I actually when I joined Liberis. I think prior to that, um, I'd always been in um, fintech ever since I left Freshfield, my my um, the firm that I trained with. Um, but I think at a more junior level and a much bigger team. I didn't feel the challenges as, as acutely and probably because I wasn't yet a mum as well. Um, so I started off Liberus as head of legal 
and over time um, evolved to general counsel. And now I, I run legal, compliance, information security, COSEC, so quite a few different functions. Um, and my my role at um, my role at Liberis has really morphed into one of not just advising on legal, but really advising on um, risk and um, particularly in a strategic context um, and how we can best achieve our goals as a business in the most sustainable and responsible manner, I guess. Um, and in terms of challenges, I think one of the toughest things was actually getting a seat at the table. So so sure, I was head of legal initially, and then it morphed into this name change of general counsel. But the really key part was actually sitting on the executive, getting to sit on the executive. And the executive was um, for, for quite a while, and not deliberately, but just was all men. Um, and uh, and that was in no way, as I say, it was in no way intentional, but I think it made it that bit harder for me to have both the confidence and feel that I sort of earned that seat at the table. And the reason it's so critical is because that is where the ultimate strategic decisions are made, um, subject to board approval. And I didn't feel that I was having the input I needed to at a, at a high enough level. Um, and so um, and so that was challenging and actually thinking about it in a way that um, would be both respected and acknowledged um, within the organization that I joined was, was quite challenging. Um, I think what was really important was to actually take the female factor out of it. Because I don't think the fact that I'm a woman was the reason for me to join the executive, even if it was currently all men. The reason to join was because of um, one, merit, and two, because I had really critical input that had to be heard at that level. Um, so I think almost thinking, thinking in the sense of, I'm a woman, should I join the executive? I'm a woman, it's all men. That's the wrong way to be thinking about it. It's, I'm a person that has something valuable to add that this company needs at that level. So I think that was really important for me to have that mindset. Um, I think I'm fortunate at Liberis. Our C-suite is um, very pro-female empowerment. Um, they even sort of personally um, promote high-achieving women. Um, so I, I'm definitely lucky in that respect. I mean, I know um, another GC, who had been um, facing similar challenges at her business and um, actually ended up resigning because she just didn't feel that she could, um, she used to describe it as competing with the, with the men. And that's the thing that I really have struggled with and actually got to grips with completely myself. You don't need to, as a woman, be an alpha male to be heard at the table. You know, realizing that you don't have to be the loudest voice in the room or have a, a male persona to have that level of influence is really, really important. Um, so, yeah, I think it was really, for me, um, the point of being recognized as not just a, a female lawyer or I think uh, or a female GC, but actually as a um, as a human being that had a very valuable um strategic uh, point of view to add to our executive. Thanks, Lex. That's really fascinating. And I think, you know, the stuff that you said around having a seat at a table is so important because how do businesses grow, develop, cater towards their diverse customers or clientele unless the decision makers themselves who help organise and direct that strategy are representative. I think that's really interesting and fascinating about the alpha male. And I, I do think, you know, thankfully times are changing, but there is still this persona that 
to get things done you have to get get things done in that mayor way and yeah. actually one should bring their unique characteristics yeah. be that gender race religion I don't know like, you know all these different factors that one takes into account when it comes to their identity and they should take that way take those factors and actually implement them in their work life balance and you know their day-to-day -day because how else do you have a diverse workforce and diverse decisions so that's really fascinating thanks so much for sharing that and I suppose maybe my second question is around the industry more generally obviously you've touched on the lack of diversity and whilst you know Liberis there is a bit more representative the industry itself does have an issue so why do you think that is why do you think there are so few women in fintech and maybe putting on your GC hat why do you think there are so many well so little female lawyers within the fintech space I think it's quite nuanced so I think and I'm not going to go into the to all of the nuances because some of them I think are look socioeconomic to do with even things to do with like childcare in the United Kingdom and I'm in no way going to take on uh, any uh, any any hope of, of uh, addressing those kind of issues in this but it is is relevant because I don't think I'm making a generalization here but there are so many factors that go into this um, from a socioeconomic and political perspective but from my point of view I think it's really important first and foremost because what I'm going to say is quite related to being a working mother the female issue is not a working mother issue they're separate things and the female issue exists outside of you don't need to be a mother to be facing the the female issues uh, and challenges within fintech um so i want to make that clear to begin with um i think um but for me obviously that is one of the challenges and fintech is as you say notoriously male dominated particularly the higher up you go and i think it's almost a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy in the sense the higher up you go, the less females you see in positions of power. The more you kind of, you know, I, I'll give my obviously use myself as an example, but, you know, the, the, the more senior I became in my career, the less women I saw around me, the less I could people I had to identify with who were struggling with the same things. So, for example, balancing a kind of crazy work schedule with three tiny, well, first two tiny little kids. And when I you know joined Liberis, the twins were only um, seven months old. And um, and I think it goes back to what I said in the in the answer to the last question, which was wanting to put on this kind of bravado that I'm the same as all the men. You know, I, I don't want to be seen as um, a failure or weaker than them because I've got these other things I need to balance. Um, probably shouldn't refer to my children as things, actually. But um, but um, so so I think the fact that you don't see those challenges around you and you think all oh, these should be kind of, you know, kept behind closed doors um is really difficult because if there's anything harder than trying to balance you know in my case three little monsters at the same time as an incredibly demanding job in fintech with predominantly males around you it's having to hide that situation on top that is just exhausting so um so i think um so i think that's that's difficult and of course that as i say it's a self-fulfilling prophecy the less women that see women around them, the less they're going to go, uh, you know, the more they're going to leave and the less women you're going to have. Um, so then it's about, you know, those businesses putting in place mechanisms and and, and tools and um, and different ways to keep women in the industry. Um, and um, and look, I think I think the other point is, and this probably sounds 
uh, is again, it's quite a generalization. But I think fintech does kind of have a lot of bluff and bluster around it. And I think there's a lot of jargon. Um, and I think a lot of women and, and there are studies on this. This isn't just my opinion, but there are studies on this, which is which go to say women, women will always underestimate what they know and men will often overestimate what they know. Now, this is a generalization, as I say, um, but, you know, not not really so much from personal experience, but it's, it's kind of a well-known thing that women will often um, either fail to ask for the money they think they're worth or in terms of salary negotiations, or they might not even bother with an interview because they don't think they know enough. And I think in fintech, it, it because it's an industry which kind of does um, centre around quite kind of jargon based concepts. And um, there's a lot of um, a lot of you know men in technology that are quite loud about things and their opinions. I think often women feel potentially um, intimidated and that they don't know enough and they couldn't possibly, you know, either enter into or succeed and continue to develop in that industry. Um, so I think it's I think it's a combination of not seeing women around you, um, not having examples to look up to or not enough of them um, and an industry that's that's quite um, quite closed and, and not very democratized in terms of knowledge sharing and um, jargon busting. Great. Thanks, Lex. I suppose the, the point around role models. So, well, I suppose seeing people that look like you is so important because actually junior lawyers within the space or you know younger people that work with fintech especially those from diverse backgrounds need to see people that look like them sound like them have had a similar journey to them for them to actually see their potential and growth mm. and I think that's a really important point around seeing visible role models yeah um so th thanks for that and I suppose actually this might be a nice way of um getting the private practice lawyer perspective and Fiona I'd be quite interested to see what your experiences are in the space as a private practice female lawyer working within fintech. Absolutely so I've been with CMS um, since the the middle of my training contract uh, I was a trainee at Scottish firm Dundas and Wilson when we merged with CMS um, in the middle of my in the middle of my traineeship so I've always been a practice uh, private practice lawyer and I've always uh, worked uh, at CMS I would say um, in terms of my own personal experience I've been really fortunate in my career to have many female role models and mentors from an associate stage to a partner stage at the firm. So it really echoes what Lex was saying earlier about the importance of representation and the importance of seeing um, female partners, seeing female associates, seeing females at, at each career stage uh, to, to, to see how your career can progress. In the UK banking team alone, I added this up and I've I've worked directly with five um, different female banking partners at CMS. And when I qualified, I had an all female reporting line. So the, the level of female representation has been very much the status quo for me since I qualified. And the representation and support that I've seen and have had has been really important for my own career progression 
and taking that into account it's it's something that I look to replicate and I would say pay forward when working with associates and trainees to to provide that that role model and that mentorship for juniors. I think that visibility and, and leading by example are really important in terms of retention and progression as well. Specifically in terms of um, the fintech industry, from my own experience, and I would say particularly in the last few years, it does feel to me that there are an increasing number of female clients in the fintech space, both from a company side perspective and a funder side perspective, which is really, really positive. The competitive advantage of having um, equality and diversity in the workforce is very well publicised now. Increased creativity, innovation, problem solving, um, all of which uh, we'd all we'd all agree are critical in in the legal sector as well as the fintech sector. Great, thanks, Fiona. And actually, just thinking about it as a as a regulatory lawyer, predominantly working within the, the crypto space, I'm definitely seeing a lot of my clients actually having a diverse uh, legal counsel in terms of those that are females and those from different uh, other diversity groups. So I think I think there definitely is a, a positive movement there. Maybe let's move on and look at how we can encourage the younger generations and organisations to, to diversify um, and have a diverse pool of fintech talent. So a question to both Lex and Fiona. Lex, perhaps you can go first. What is the one tip you would have given your younger self if you knew you were going to embrace a career in fintech? Um, so I would say feel the fear and do it anyway. Um, not to use a cliche, but I was so apprehensive about going into um, fintech and then specifically about going into a leadership role at a fintech. Um, and ultimately, back yourself you 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 can do anything and you can learn anything um and um I think I'd also say remember that you know more than you think you do and what I'd also say is it's less about it's not so much tips to my younger self but but also I guess things I would have been more vocal about or looked for more so for example I would look to make sure that I joined an organization where not really just the women, but the men were very um, vocal about um, vocal and not just vocal, but actually implemented and cared about um, meritocracy. So, you know, at Liberis, for example, our COO, um, Rob and our CEO, Rob, they're not all called Rob, our organization, but um, they are both huge advocates of, of um, high achieving, powerful women. And um and our CEO in particular, you know, is is very um, hell bent on us not just going into something like International Women's Day to kind of have a campaign and and make a PR thing out of it. But you know, he specifically says we need to look at the data. We need to really make sure that we're being humble as an organisation and working out from the data points: do we have, you know, gaps? Do we have areas that we really need to fill? And and actually caring about it, not just doing a kind of PR stunt. So making sure you look for an organisation where you know, not just females, but meritocracy is on the agenda. Thanks, Lex. I suppose it's having that male champion, which is exactly. really important. Exactly. And Fiona, thank you. And Fiona, your thoughts? I completely agree with, with, with all of that. And, and linked to Lex's tip, I would say 
uh, have have confidence and and go for it. Fintech does combine two sectors that have traditionally been male dominated. So you've got financial services and tech. And in relation to women in tech, we know that one of the biggest barriers to career progression and retaining a diverse and equal workforce has um, it has been identified as a lack of confidence and imposter syndrome. And I remember starting my traineeship and seeing very confidently that I didn't think I'd be qualifying into banking and it, it wasn't a seat I was um, thinking of doing at all. There, there was something intimidating about it that, that didn't appeal to me um, immediately. I, I couldn't imagine myself um, qualifying into it as I had this preconceived idea. And when I when I did do my my six month seat, my my mind completely changed. Um, the the team were great, and I went into it with an open mind and tried to get rid of these preconceived ideas and just enjoy the experience. And I'm really glad I did because otherwise I would have held myself back, thinking you know it's too intimidating. It's it's not for me. Great, thanks, Fiona. Thanks for sharing that as well. And I suppose let's move on to the industry and think about the the key uh, challenges and opportunities that face fintechs uh, over the next 12 months. Lex, Fiona, um, and Lex again, please go first. Um, against the current economic outlook, what do you think are the key challenges for UK fintech at the moment? Um, I mean, look, I think it would be remiss to not mention the current economic climate. Um, this recession is, um, well, this downturn is unlike any other we've really had before. Um, and there has been so much fear of the unknown. Um, and I think in particular, following something like the, you know, the COVID pandemic, there's just so much fear of the unknown and trepidation that it's very difficult to plan ahead. Um, and I think particularly in an industry like fintech, where I think until very recently, you know, there were all fintechs were crazy valuations and until a bubble really burst, um, you know, speed has been so important. And I think now one needs to be careful to temper it a little bit. So, you know, for Liberis, we're in embedded finance and we're the leaders in our field in, and we're the leaders in the market in UK and Europe, for sure. And for us right now, there's more opportunity than we know what to do with. I mean, and it, look, it's clearly, as my CEO would say, it's a champagne problem. But it's really important that we don't just jump on at every single opportunity, but we carefully evaluate them and that we plan sensibly you know and i think most businesses are now having to um think more about profitability um i think tech and particularly fintech for a while just didn't need to think about that it was just about hyper growth at any cost and it's very clear now that it is not a situation where it's hyper growth at any cost valuations have shown this from huge companies that felt they thought they were immune in fintech um, and so I think it's that it's it's that balance between chasing the hyper growth because ultimately the opportunity is still there for a company like ours, but being really careful to temper it with sensible planning, a path to profitability, and um, and just being um, really kind of cautious. Thanks, Lex. Fiona, any any thoughts on the on the outlook for the next twelve months? Sure. So just 
picking up on the the point on uncertainty that that Lex mentioned and and, and echoing that really, I think as a result, uh, fundraising may become more difficult or fundraising processes just might take longer if funders scrutinise business plans more closely, taking into account high interest rates and cost of living crisis, then underwriting policies and data on things like portfolio concentration, defaults, collections uh, will be um, un under the microscope, I, I imagine. I think we can probably also expect to see an increased level of restructuring and unfortunately insolvencies. On the other hand, I think acquisitions um, are, are we're likely to see an increase in, in those as well with companies looking for opportunities to expand or consolidate uh, their client base. In terms of embedded finance, recent reports um, by the likes of Bain and Co and McKinsey are projecting growth, notwithstanding the current uncertainty in the, in the market and economic outlook, which is very positive. B the B2B space in terms of buy now, pay later or other embedded finance products is generally considered less saturated perhaps than B2C, which could result in an increase in players in that space, funding and, as Lex mentioned, opportunities for partnering with traditional financial institutions as well. Great. Thanks, Fiona. Looks like there's quite a lot that we need to be prepared for over the next 12 months. Um, hopefully some positive points in terms of, you know, new opportunities, scalability, new products, new markets. So there is there's a lot to, um, to consider. So let's wrap up. Thanks, Lex and Fiona, for joining the podcast today and for sharing your experiences. It's been very insightful learning more about your thoughts around women in fintech, how we can diversify the industry and some of your thoughts around the economic outlook over the next 12 months. And thanks, everybody, for listening. We hope you all enjoyed our interview with Lex and Fiona. If you would like any further details around this topic or any of the points we've discussed specifically in this podcast, then you can reach out to our guest speakers or me and our details are linked below. We also frequently publish thought leadership on this area and alternatively, you can visit our FinTech webpage and Twitter page, which is also linked below. Thanks for listening and take care.